0: Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares.
1: You need to know how hard it is as you share that message of salvation with others, they don't want to hear that. They will get angry. They will be enraged. They they don't like to hear that your message of Christianity involves the fact that they have a sin problem, and you should be able to sympathize with that because you don't like it either.
0: When Stephen was dragged in front of the Sanhedrin, he responded with a powerful indictment against them, and they were enraged. Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares explains why we need to share the diagnosis and remedy for sin, no matter what it costs, in hope that some will accept the truth. I'm Dave Drouy, and we're in Acts 7, verse 51, for the final message in a series of Gospel Lessons from the Old Testament. Now here's Pastor Mike with a message called, The Pushback Against the Messengers.
1: We've been studying in Acts chapter seven, Stephen who's been preaching here, teaching, responding to the Sanhedrin, the council that had just imprisoned his pastor, had beaten his pastor, told him to stop preaching, Peter, and now they've got Stephen there. And it's the same council that had previously, just months before, had put Jesus before them and turned them over to the Romans to be crucified. So this is a educated and experienced group of people that were in the know about Christ, about Christianity. They they had clarity about all that, and yet they were really not responding well. As a matter of fact, that's what Stephen's whole speech was about, is looking at the pattern of God sending the right person, the deliverer, the leader, and having the people in their stubbornness just Not respond well. They they didn't recognize it, and he's basically setting them up for the diagnosis. He's saying, "Look at all the problems out there. Now let's talk about you." Now we finally turned the corner in the last two paragraphs of Acts 7. So I want you to turn there. We're going to try and quickly look at verses 51 through 60 as Stephen concludes his speech, and it doesn't end well for him. (laughs) It ends well in the sense that we get a clear diagnosis, but to a bunch of people that have rejected it in the past, they're certainly not interested in hearing it now of what they needed to do and their problem that they had with God. So he responds this way. It sounds harsh, but remember that background. It may help you with the way that he's going to respond to them in saying, you've got a problem. Well, what's the problem? verse 51. You are stiff-necked people. Now that's the phrase you probably didn't use this week uh, on people unless you're an old, crotchety, proper gentleman. I don't know who uses that phrase. You're a a stiff-necked person. Stiff-necked, uncircumcised of heart and ears. You always resist the Spirit. Just like your forefathers persecuted the prophets, you are persecuting me and you're persecuting my pastor and you put Christ to death. You murdered him, in other words, betrayed him and murdered him in verse 52. That is the diagnosis that Peter brought in the first sermon that we saw on the day of Pentecost in chapter two. It's the message that has been brought by Jesus himself all throughout the gospels. You have a sin problem, you need to see it and recognize it. I think of John chapter nine. You are blind because of your sin and unless you recognize your blindness, you'll remain in your sin. But it's those who see that they're blind. There's a purposeful oxymoron. They see that they're blind. They recognize their blindness, their spiritual sin problem. Those are the ones that end up getting granted sight. I mean, this is the message. God would love to replace your heart. God would love to get you right with him. God would love to append all of your sins judicially to the cross so that you don't bear your sins anymore, that you would die and be acceptable before God in the next life without any reference to your sins. He would love to do that, but you've got to admit you have a sin problem. And that's a problem because most people don't want to hear it, right? You need to understand if you're taking notes. Number one, no, the gospel diagnosis hurts. There is a diagnosis. Right? Before the remedy, there's a diagnosis, and the remedy is great if you recognize the diagnosis, and that's painful, but you need to know how hard it is as you share that message of salvation with others. They don't want to hear that. They will get angry. They will be enraged. Right? They, they don't like to hear that your message of Christianity involves the fact that they have a sin problem, and you should be able to sympathize with that because you don't like it either if someone comes up to you in a small group and says, you know what, you are an angry, undisciplined, stubborn person, you won't go, oh, I was just thinking the same thing this week. You're not gonna be cool with that because your flesh is gonna go, I don't like being called those things. And I don't want someone telling me that. But that's the reality of the gospel. It has to expose those things. In the next section, the next section he brings up the Son of Man. Let me just summarize this. In this section, 55 through 58, he talks about seeing the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now that picture of the Son of Man is a reference to Daniel 7, it's about judgment. They were seminary grads, they knew the Bible. This would be a painful reminder to them of everything, not only that Daniel 7 said, but that Jesus kept saying. And he kept saying things like this. When the Son of Man, he talked about himself in the third person, because this is how scripture presents the Son of Man. When the Son of Man comes in his glory with the angels, He will sit upon his glorious throne and he will separate the peoples into two groups like a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. He would say things like this in John chapter five, right? The son of man has been given all authority to judge. These pictures of judgment, they know that Stephen is saying, that Jesus has said, that Peter has said to them that you are wrong and because you're wrong, there's a penalty for that. And now Stephen is saying, son of man, I see him now standing at the right hand of the father. They hated that because it was a picture and an indictment of where they were headed to stand before the judge one day. And the Son of Man reference was a reminder to them of the prognosis, not just the diagnosis, that the prognosis was terminal. We need to realize, number two, that the prognosis is dreadful. And we talked about this. We won't turn you back there. But when Hebrews talks about the reality of facing God without Christ, it says it is a dreadful thing, right? A dreadful thing. A fearful thing, I think, is how the ESV translates. A fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You don't want to meet God, your creator, without Christ encasing you, being clothed in Christ. And that, again, is the stuff people don't don't talk to me about sin and don't talk to me about hell. All that, I don't like that. That's old-time religion. I don't want it. See, but that's what the gospel begins with. Speaking of physical ailments, I did get diagnosed with something I guess I should tell the church, androgenic alopecia. I got diagnosed with that and they said it's an incurable case and I hate to tell you that but I am going to tell you today that I don't care and matter of fact uh, my response is a shrug of the shoulders and eh, no one's perfect and I hope you agree with me if you know what androgenic alopecia is because all that means is that I have incurable baldness in the back of my head. Those are the fancy Greek words for male pattern baldness and so I have it and I do shrug my shoulders and say, no one's perfect. Uh, there are remedies, but I don't really care about it. And I'm not going to spend money on trying to move follicles around on my head, whatever. Okay. So I need, I need a cap before you do it. My head gets colder faster than yours. So the pictures from behind are like, bah, that head is not going to win any awards from the backside. Okay. Whatever. I don't care. And, and you know what? My response to androgenic Alopecia is the way some people respond. We start talking about sin and hell and judgment. They think, what does it matter? I don't care. And they'll say what I just said, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. See, but the problem is, it's not that. It's like someone saying, You have, you know, stage five cancer. You, you, you have, you know, a malignancy in your brain. This is a bigger deal than, hey, no one's perfect. You need to do something about this. There is a remedy. It's like a doctor saying, you have a terrible situation, but there is a remedy. Well, there's a remedy for my baldness, some kind of remedy. I'm not interested in having it or paying for it, but I I recognize this. If it were some other kind, I'm gonna say, dude, I don't care what insurance, I gotta figure out the money, I gotta gotta do that because I don't want to be killed by this thing, this diagnosis. When he talks about the Son of Man, he's ramping this up, right? Of course, God in his providence as he shows him Christ standing at the right hand, but he chose the words, the Son of Man, And that reminds them of the judgment that was delivered to Christ to judge the world. And that's the problem. They don't see the gravity of where they're headed without Christ, when he will say to those who have rejected him, right, they're into outer darkness, where there's weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth, and gnashing of teeth, the grinding of teeth, are not because you're angry, it's because you're in pain. I mean, it's like us uh, hearing about uh, criminals and believing that, you know, jail or punishment or fines are just a big myth. Well, it's not a myth, it's real. When you get caught, and here's the thing about God, he will always have your sins catch up to you. There will be a, a day of reckoning. And you can sit there and hold up, you know, 7-Elevens and think, well, there's, there's no, no penalty for this. Well, there is a penalty. And, and that penalty is coming. And people may say, well, I don't like the sandwich board Christianity, turn or burn, you know, you're a sinner, you're going to go to hell. I don't, they don't want to hear that. Well, you may not want to hear that. Of course you don't want to hear it. It's a dreadful prognosis. But the thing that we share is the Angelion, the good news, the gospel of a remedy. Christ is the remedy. And the passage should remind us of that. Look back at it here in Acts chapter 7. Stephen calls out, verse 59, Lord Jesus receive my spirit. I'm dying, and I know this, the one that is the judge of the whole earth has not only my judge now, he's now my savior. And I know I'm going to have, as Peter said in his letter, I'm going to receive a rich welcome into the kingdom. I think this God that formerly would be my judge and condemner, he would condemn me for my sins, is now going to say, hey, Stephen, welcome. They didn't have that. Matter of fact, references to the Son of Man made them enraged, but As he saw the Son of Man, he said, Lord, my King, Jesus, receive my spirit. That's the difference. That's the joyful remedy. And it's the thing that you should be willing to share in hope that some people are going to take it. They're going to reach out by faith and grab it. Number three, in hope Share the joyful remedy. The joyful remedy is there is a payment that has been paid for every last sin you've ever committed if you would trust in Christ and embrace him, whatever the cost with this world might be. However weird you might be thought of because you're a follower of Christ, it solves your guilt problem and your sin problem and you will die on a day, not be going to some kind of fire car wash, some celestial purgatory to kind of get cleaned up. You are right now, 100%, as Paul said to the Colossians, you are fully qualified to share in the inheritance and the like. And that is joyful news. And you should say, even if I make my neighbor mad or my extended family member mad, I need to talk about sin and judgment because there's no other way for you to be saved but to acknowledge that so that you can have eternal life. And that's what we want. That's what we need. There's a story, let me end with this. Matter of fact, turn there with me, would you? Luke 15, Jesus tells three stories in this chapter. And and the sermon so far, you might say, well, this is all, I don't like this church. It's just, it's negative and it's the bad stuff and it's, you know, I don't, I want to go to church where you don't hear about sin and judgment and and all that stuff. Um, Where's the love? Where's the compassion? Here's where the love and compassion is for someone that finally comes to their senses about their problem. Then Jesus says, you need to understand it. There's a great passage, by the way, in in, uh, 2 Chronicles 30 that reminds us of, as Paul put it, the severity and the kindness of God. The severity is sin is a problem to this God and, and he is not going to tolerate it. The only way to tolerate you is to take your sin, excise it from your life, and to throw it on the cross so that you can, under the shadow of the cross, be counted as righteous. So in that passage, you see the great juxtaposition and contrast of the severity of God who will judge sinners and him saying, if you would just turn from that. And he uses all these words. There will be compassion, there will be mercy, there will be grace. What a great picture of the gospel in the Old Testament. That's what we're looking for, is for us to have the experience of the good, 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 good good news of forgiveness, but it only comes to those like in this passage. We won't take time to read the whole story. You already know it, it's called the prodigal son. It's what people normally call it. Drop down to verse 17 at that moment. Look at these words. But when he came to himself, you know the story, right? He takes his father's inheritance. He goes out with prostitutes and he just, through a a flagrant lifestyle, he goes out and squanders it all in sin and debauchery. And now he finds himself wanting to eat the pods in the pig farm. And he finally goes, "What, what in the world am I doing? What a sinner I am when he came to himself. And that's the problem. We're trying to share the solution without people coming to themselves and seeing their sin for what it is. He says, I'm thinking about people in my father's house, the hired servants, middle of verse 17. They have more than enough bread, but I'm here perishing with hunger. I will arise. Here's the result verse 18. I will go to my father, I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. I just know that people, even in my father's house, he says, even in the back row, right? They got all the stuff I do not have. I just want to be accepted back into my father's family. That's what I want. Well, that's hard to have people really recognize they're unworthy of eternal life, that they're sinners, that they've sinned against heaven. I, I know that's hard, but that's, that's the diagnosis. And it's really hard because he says in verse number 17, I'm gonna perish, And that's the problem, right? The prognosis is the wages of sin is death. There's going to be not just physical death, but spiritual relational exclusion after you die from anything that's good because you'll be excluded from the giver of all good things. But where's the gospel? Where's the grace? Where's the mercy? Where's the compassion? Here it is, verse 20. People that recognize that, that see the diagnosis and are motivated by the prognosis, they embrace the remedy. He arose and he came to his father. And while he... Right? The prodigal son was still a long way off. His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. If you would turn to the Lord today, I don't care what your sinful background is like, even if you were there with hearty approval holding the cloaks of those that have stoned Stephen, right? if you would have been a persecutor of the church, God can take all that in his mercy and embrace you and accept you as his own son. Verse 21, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The father is here embracing him and kissing him, and he says, I'm just a sinner. But the father didn't say, yeah, you're gonna have to go to purgatory now, or you're gonna have to go work this off. He said, Father, the father says to his servants, hey, bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. Put shoes on his feet bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again, it was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Oh, what did he have to do? Go get a job, work his way out of the pig farm? No, turn to the father who is full of compassion and full of grace and full of mercy to solve the problem of sin. That's the problem. It's not loneliness, it's not you're having a hard time, it's not that you know, you'd be healthier if you just turned to Christ and things would clear up for you financially, just get a little God in your life. It's not about it's that you and I get to the place where this son was. I've sinned against, uh, sinned against heaven and sinned against you. I'm going to perish in this state of exile from a relationship with God. I need a relationship with the God who made me. By the way, all three of these parables in Luke 15 were about the Pharisees and the scribes who were grumbling that Jesus was spending time with a receptive crowd, these penitent sinners as they saw them, the scribes and Pharisees saw them, and they could not rejoice in the fact that Jesus was having people come to faith in him and and be right with their God, that they said that they served. They refused. They were like the older son, which it goes on to talk about. It said, "I'm I'm not gonna rejoice in that. They couldn't see extending forgiveness. I, I can't believe you would forgive those people. You can see why Stephen could be tempted to say, I can't, I can't believe you would ever forgive these people standing by throwing rocks at me. And yet, what were his last words? And his last words were words of forgiveness. That's the sign of real Christianity. Right? First John talks about that. that you, you don't even know that if you're really a Christian unless you can be a forgiving person. Right? If you can't forgive, the Father doesn't forgive you. I mean, that's what the Bible says repeatedly. And here is Stephen willing to say, those people are on equal ground with me. I pray that you wouldn't hold this against them. I pray that they'll come to faith in Christ. I mean, this is a great example of what they needed and what they didn't have. And Stephen had it all. He knew what it was to be accepted by the Father. He knew what it was to die and say, I know where I'm going. And he also knew what it was to look at other people and say, hey, if they were to come to faith, I would rejoice in that. Speaking of physical health, when you go to your doctor, next time you go, I want you to look for, the, maybe out on the sign, maybe on the business card of your doctor, maybe uh, in the elevator, look for that, that logo, that, that, that image. You'll see it on ambulances, the pole and the snake wrapped around it. And I want you to remember that it was a really bad problem to be bitten by a snake. In the Old Testament, a bunch of snakes came to all those people wandering in the wilderness. They got bitten. You get dizzy. Your blood pressure drops. You have a rapid pulse rate. You vomit. You have nausea. It's a horrible thing to be bitten by a poisonous snake. And so all these people were bitten by poisonous snakes in the wilderness, and they happened all at once. And God says, I'm bringing that on the people because of their sin. They were rebellious. They were angry. They were criticizing Moses. And God goes, I'm going to judge them for their sin. And instead of letting them all die with that terrible feeling of dying of a snake bite in the middle of the wilderness, they said to Moses, Okay, we see our problem. We get this, his judgment. And God said to Moses, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a bronze snake, wrap it around a pole, and erect it here in the middle of the camp. And these people that are wasting away, while well, you're building this bronze snake, who are saying, We need remedies, we need remedies. You stick that pole up in the middle of the camp and you have people come and look at it. That's the, Numbers 21. You can read about it when you get them. Numbers 21. Just look at it. Here's the simple phrase. Look at it and live. I mean, you want to get fixed right here. Look at it and live. In John 3, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, he said, I know men hate the light because they don't want their sins exposed, but those people that will admit it, they will see it for what it is. They need to look to me. He said, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, right, the bronze snake on the pole, so the son of man, right, must be lifted up, right? And if anyone looks to him and trusts in him and says, that's my spiritual remedy. I can get right with the living God knowing that I'm sick in my sins and knowing that the prognosis is terminal. Just look in faith to Christ. It's a simple reductionistic way to put it, but look to Christ and live. I mean, there's the great remedy, It's as simple as that. It's not like, hey, do all these things and you'll get the venom to get out of your system to just look to the bronze snake. God could have told Moses to construct a lot of things to be more pleasant to look at than a snake. They just got bitten by snakes. Construct a, uh, a silver dove and put it up on a pole. No, no, no. Construct a bronze snake and have the people, because of their sin, bitten by snakes, look at the snake. Think about that even. Look at your sin. Look at it. Look at the the problem. Look at the prognosis. Look at it. And you put that faith in God's promise that he will forgive you. Look at it and live. And Jesus said, man, I'm going to be lifted up and I'm going to draw people to myself. And guess what? Even Saul, who was in that crowd, was going to be drawn to Christ. We're going to read about it in a couple chapters in, in Acts. We're going to study that. Just because Christ has provided a gracious, merciful Remedy. I hope you've appropriated that by faith. And if you have, then here's what Christ said come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Your job is to go out and share that message, ambassadors of the message. Remember, the diagnosis hurts. Remember, your job is to remind them that the prognosis is terminal. But keep sharing in hope, even though most people will push you back on it, that there is a joyful remedy. And there will be people that refuse it, but there will be people that embrace it. And like you, They'll sit here, I trust, one day next to you, worshiping Christ, listening to the word, hearts being changed like the testimonies we heard this morning, new life, because they've seen the problem, they feared the consequence, and they turned to Christ for eternal life.
0: You're listening to Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares and the conclusion of a message called The Pushback Against the Messengers. This also wraps up a compelling series called Gospel Lessons from the Old Testament. And if you've missed any of the previous messages in this series, you can easily go back and listen online at focalpointradio.org. And while you're online, I invite you to discover how you can help keep this program going strong in your community. You know, sharing these messages on the radio and online is immensely rewarding. But it's also expensive. And we're grateful for friends just like you who share our desire to reach the whole world with the gospel, teach the truth of the Bible, and train fellow Christ followers to live out their faith effectively. So to make these messages widely available, your support is vital. Please give generously today with a one-time financial gift or become a Focal Point partner by making your donation a monthly gift. To give, please call triple eight three two zero five eight eight five. That's eight 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 three two zero fifty eight eighty five. Or go online to focalpointradio.org. And to say thank you for your generous donation today, we'll send you a copy of Pastor Mike's brand new book titled "Envy: A Big Problem You Didn't Know You Had." This book exposes the pervasive sin of envy and explores biblical ways to shore up your heart and mind and close the gaps that make us vulnerable to envy's temptations. As you read, you'll discover how you can truly rejoice with those who rejoice and gain a deeper capacity for selfless love. Request your copy of Pastor Mike's newest book, Envy, A Big Problem You Didn't Know You Had when you donate to Focal Point today by calling 888 5885 or donate online at focalpointradio.org. You can also write to Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. Well, we're all anticipating the next presidential election, but as Christians, what should our role be in the public square? Should we wave banners of support for our candidate, protest, or refrain from getting involved at all? Well, tomorrow, Pastor Mike answers all your questions as he walks us verse by verse through Romans 13 to discover the connection between politics and faith. I'm Dave Drouy, inviting you to join us for a timely edition of Ask Pastor Mike, Friday on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here.
1: I pray today's message will help you live out your faith with truth and love. After all, that's the kind of biblical faith that changes lives and transforms a crooked culture. But if you haven't truly surrendered your life to Christ, then I'd like to invite you to get in touch. We'd love to pray with you and help
0: you discover God's plan of salvation. Visit focalpointradio.org. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.